Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Lily Kate Show. I'm so glad you're all here today. I feel like every week I say, wow, so much is happening in the news. But this week, I really do mean it like I mean it every other time I say it. Biggest thing that has been breaking over the weekend has been the Twitter files. The Twitter files is an amazing expose um, about how the 2020 election news and news leading up to it was botched and changed and tampered with by executives at Twitter, colluding with the government, colluding with the FBI, colluding with news sites and colluding within itself to ban the distribution of this story over many uh, diff- to different accounts. There was a bombshell report that the New York Post had one month before the election. Just to recap, so back in 2020, it had incriminating evidence on Hunter Biden's basically his crack dealing, his prostitute relationships, but mainly his corruption through his company in relation to money laundering through Ukraine and keeping profits for his family, famously we know Joe Biden is, quote, 10% for the big guy. Hunter Biden is obviously very lazy with his laptop because it was found, recovered, and turned into the FBI. So an article compounding everything we knew at that point about this developing story again before the 2020 election the NY, uh, the New York Post then posted that and was blocked from Twitter on the grounds of basically spreading leaked information that they didn't have the right to, even though a lot of different news sites were sent carbon copies of Hunter Biden's hard drive. The post was turned so that you could also not share it on your own Twitter feed or even through private direct messaging. Soon after then, of course, Facebook and Google followed suit and blocked this article from their sites as well. It was before the election and we, as many people believe, was the type of story and post that would have decided you know, heavy outcomes of the 2020 election in a major way. And people are trying to say, oh, it wouldn't really, really wouldn't have been that important. Why were they spending so much time and energy covering it up? So all this comes to a full circle. Elon Musk buys Twitter and says, I want Twitter to be a source of trusted information. Therefore, we must come clean for all the things that this company has done wrong. In the past, last Friday, then a leftist reporter named Matt Taibbi, 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 I think, was given basically free reign to report on what truly happened to that story behind the scenes with the approval of Elon Musk. He posted a 40 part Twitter thread uncovering how the Biden administration, the FBI and the left wing Twitter activists all conspired to take one story down. Now, there's been recent developments specifically regarding James Baker and how this specific guy is a lawyer for the FBI as he is also legal counsel and works for Twitter. So there's a huge conflict of interest um, within, you know, the rankings of the government and the federal bureaus that we have and the social media platforms. One email that he released even said through his expose, one of the Twitter executives said, the First Amendment is not absolute, which of course directly translates to your right to speak, your right to assemble, your right to petition the government, have a free press, or have your own religion is not absolute. In tweet 18 in this thread, Matt Tybee I think that's how you say his name, says Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases. Example, child pornography. So basically, it is proven now, thanks to Elon Musk and this 
left-wing reporter, allegedly, who was able to run with this story, that the election coverage was heavily controlled and Twitter, along with other big tech companies, actively suppressed information from getting to the public. Now, most conservatives are saying, yeah, we already knew that. We just didn't have a mainstream platform on our side allowing us to release this information or allowing us to freely talk about it or even access stories and pieces of evidence that would make our story and narrative believable. But this is what our country has come to. It is a huge jump from the freedoms that we had before the internet and really it presents itself as a new battleground for conservatives to identify. We are always late to the party as conservatives and once again we were late to the social media party. That is why it became so tyrannical and so leftist so quickly. We need not hold back on populating new industries. Conservatives always like to hate on change. They're scared of change. But the problem is we're going to keep losing if we don't start showing up. We must always show up, fight for freedom, and never allow our moral enemies to occupy a vacuum that is created when we decide to step out of the seat. So that's the quick moral. You guys can absolutely go read the Twitter thread for yourselves. It's revealing. It's shocking. But not surprising, if you know what I mean. So next, we are going to have a guest. I've sat on this podcast episode for literally so long, and I feel so bad about it. But Gary Sheffield Jr. is a baseball uh, news anchor slash reporter slash enthusiast. And we're actually going to talk to him about the meshing of politics and baseball in our culture today and kind of talk about the parallels of East Industry and why it's actually might be really good for you, specifically girls, if you're looking for a boyfriend to start engaging in watching some baseball. Oh man, Gary, how are you? I'm good. How about yourself? So good. Thank you for joining me today. And on the Lily Kate show, we typically don't talk about sports. So I'm really interested to see where this podcast goes because we mostly talk about politics, feminism, women's issues. So as we know, the world is changing and we got to keep up with the time. So obviously you're a very acclaimed name in sports. So is your father's. Um, So is your father. So I want to start with the basics. What draws you to sports specifically? To be honest with you, it's sports is a good way to get away from reality. There's a ton of real life stuff that happens that is a little dark and to my liking. I mean, life is a little more grim than people told it to us in elementary school and high school. No one told us it was going to be this, this grim and mm-hmm. sports is like the one thing that's positive and that hopefully you can keep up some positivity and some hope for a championship and to feel like you're winning at something, even though we really have no part in it, it feels good to be a part of um, a part of a fan base and a part of a group where you guys all can cheer for the same thing because in real life, nobody seems like they're re- they're rooting for the same thing anymore. So yeah. it's the one thing that I feel like can bring people together, regardless of how you feel about each other politically. And that's why I'm there. Love it. And it's funny too, because so much of our lives when we're younger is spent imagining, learning the rules of life. How do you function in a real world? And so I feel like sports really is something where we can transition into where it's like you learn the rules of the game. You said, like you said, you're rooting for a team, you're rooting and you have actual unity between you and all the fans, which is amazing. But also like it does remove you from life kind of the same way that movies do. Like whenever I watch a superhero movie, I'm like, whoa, like I get that weird, like 
spaced out feeling afterward. It brings you to a different yeah. place and lets you kind of cleanse your brain a little bit. So I love that perspective. And you specifically cover baseball. So I want to know what out of all the other sports draws you to baseball? People ask me this privately all the time, especially people who don't watch baseball. And I can understand why people don't like it. It's a slow game. And that's actually why I like it. Most of our entertainment today and is a lot of fast twitch and 30 minute. Let me rewatch that episode. Let me watch this episode. Everything is very fast and nothing develops anymore. People don't like to watch a game develop with golf. They don't want to watch the game develop with baseball. And baseball is a sport where you can watch four hours of nothing, go get a hot dog. And to me, I enjoy being in the atmosphere. And that's something that a lot of our culture is just disassociating with. They want to see that fast, those, those fast entertainments. What's the next show? What's the next 20 minute podcast that I can watch? And I like to go give myself some variety there. I love podcasts too. I watch, I listen to plenty. I watch plenty shows like the Joe Rogan show. I watch a lot of that stuff, but at the same time, I need something to give me a different pace, something that's slower. Yeah. Wow. So your argument is baseball specifically slows you down. Cause I feel like with football, it's like all these spurts of just like quick motion and then your dopamine goes up and you're cheering yeah. and then it's down again yeah. and you're still in that atmosphere, mm-hmm. of course, but baseball, you're right. It It's a game that develops over time and you can't just immediately have that satisfaction of one side or the other side. Um, You know, the amount of memes I've heard about people hating on golf because it's just too slow and too boring. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, But you're exactly right. I mean, we don't have, as Gen Z millennials, we don't have the patience anymore to sit through. I mean, it's actually been proven that our attention span as Gen Z is lower than a goldfish. A goldfish has an attention span of like five or six seconds or something like that. Gen Z, we scroll past the video in the first 1.5 seconds because if we're not immediately happy about it, then we just keep scrolling. So I think you might agree with this. Do you think baseball gives us, and when you really hone in on the game, focus on the game and discipline yourself to watch it and sit through it, do you think it can, you, you can use it to develop tools of discipline? Yeah, I think it it lets you slow things down and actually try to enjoy things, find what's enjoyable about something. And for me, it's, it's just like building a relationship. If you if you essentially can tell people, yeah, I can get bored faster than a goldfish can, why would you be able to have successful romantic relationships right. or friendships? Why would you be able to do that? To, to me, it takes time to build everything. Everything takes time to build, um, to be a fan of something that's not a Netflix show. Yeah. And if the only thing you really like are short-term podcasts, like 15-minute podcasts and sports where it's like everything is up-tempo – then you're living like this big dopamine rush and your life is going to be very disappointing. By the time you step out your parents' house, 18, 19 years old, you're going to be very disappointed at what you see because anything that's really worth your time, like really worth your time as an adult, it takes a ton of time to build it and it takes a lot of discipline. Wow. And so ladies, um, you heard it here first. The way you develop good relationship skills is you go watch baseball games. (laughs) You sure do. Everything, yeah, because like, dating is it's like people make it seem like it's just so easy oh you just walk in the room and you'll know i'm like no like yeah you might know that you're interested in somebody but at the same time you need to take time to know this person understand what they like what they don't like what you hate about that person (laughs) and 
figure out if you can make it work. And a lot of people just don't want to take the time. They just say, I'm bored and they move on to the next shiny toy. Yeah. And that's exactly why divorce rates are actually getting a lot higher now. Generally, I was giving a speech at Baylor University last night and I brought some stats up about marriage and divorce rates. Obviously, marriage rates have been declining in the US. We've hit an all-time low. But yeah. In the last 25 years, divorce rates started going down, which was really good. But all of a sudden, three years ago or two years ago with COVID, everyone all of a sudden had to be in the same house for extended amounts of time. And they realized they didn't like each other very much. Right. And so divorce rates in the last three years have skyrocketed to 34% higher than they actually were. And I find that so sad because what's keeping your marriage together, you know, what was keeping your marriage together before then was the fact that you weren't together all the time. And that's a really a sad place right. to be for our our culture. And so, you know, it goes without saying, and I don't want to incriminate you in any way, but you are on the Lily Kate show. The Lily Kate show is typically more conservative Christian. Right. And I know that you have a few leanings in that area, although you are existing in a very polarized realm, which is the sports realm. Mm -hmm. And so right. kind of to set up how polarized sports actually is. I really wanted to ask you, do you have any um, stories or examples that you've personally experienced or been adjacent to um, with the crossover between sports and politics and like how prickly really is it is kind of my question. Very. And there's, there's plenty of baseball fans who will back me on this. And some people get angry when they hear it. And his name is Kurt Schilling. Kurt Schilling is a player. He was an amazing pitcher. He's a Hall of Fame pitcher. Now, making it into Hall of Fame is the most important thing that you can do in this sport, aside from winning the World Series. And it's harder to make the Hall of Fame than it is to win the World Series. So he came out as really being this open conservative. And and I'll admit, like, there's some some things that he said that were some things are conservative and then it seems like he was crossing the line. But at the same time, what it shows you is that you will be punished for the way you speak politically. And to me, that's not okay. Somewhere, something like the Hall of Fame is supposed to be an objective place that you can make and put the greatest baseball players of all time, any Hall of Fame. But when you show people that you're setting a precedent, that you can say something and now you're no longer allowed in our club of great players it no longer becomes a club of great players. It becomes a club of great players that can keep their mouth shut. Yeah. And that's very sad. And I do bend slightly. I'm more conservative than I am anything else. But at the same time, if I have an idea and it affects my job, it affects where the club I can make it into, it affects my growth, then there are ramifications for all of us, but especially in sports where some of the greatest players of all time are not where they're supposed to be mm. because of the way that they think in their home. Yeah. And that that is very disappointing. And so this pitcher, he was in the Hall of Fame. <clears throat> then he said something and was removed. Is that how the story went? No, he was actually in the process of being voted into the Hall of Fame. And he easily, this is a pitcher that some people would name as like the guy that they would give the ball to in the biggest games of the year. I mean, this is like one of the greatest pitchers ever. A top 10 pitcher of all time, easily in the Hall of Fame. Like it's not even a debate. Right. He's only not there because of his conservative views. And some, I would almost say right, like he's almost on the other side. He's like the far right, which mm -hmm. even if you are far right, and I don't agree with just being all the way one direction, no matter what you are, but 
if you are something, it can't possibly hurt you to that degree. Right. No, that's terrible that they would bar someone just without any further investigation, any asking questions. You know, as soon as one rumor gets out, that's when either side are just going to, you know, parting of the Red Sea and say, I'm having nothing to do with this. Just cut it out where it it begins because we don't want anything to do with that. And so, of course, that speaks to the lack of integrity, I think, really in the baseball realm, specifically with whoever was administering the Hall of Fame and the process in which you can become part of the Hall of Fame because, you know, it should be about the game. Like you said at the beginning, it's a place people go to escape and it's a place people go to enjoy. And it shouldn't be tainted by politics because politics is down and dirty and sports definitely shouldn't be um, that way. And so I want to ask you kind of a big picture question, because now that the mask mandates have been repealed on airplanes and the Biden administration is bringing um, a, an appeal to the courts because they're trying to reinstate it. And I'm af- actually covering in one of my Instagram breaking news segments today about how mask mandates are actually trying to be resurrected on all college campuses that are publicly funded in oh, bluer Lord. states, which is a very unpopular um, political move at this point, I would say. Yeah. And so I wanted to ask through the last two, three years, what is the developing relationship between sports and the government specifically in regards to like COVID, COVID policies, vaccines? Because I feel as if that's a very, that's a very case by case um, situation. And so I, I didn't know if there was like any thing that a conservative should know how COVID is affecting the sports world. Well, you know what, obviously, I would say the, they see them as celebrities. These athletes are, it's almost like how celebrities have been trying for the past, it seems like the past 25 years, trying to set an example for the average Joe American. And people don't like that. And mm. I don't know how many times they have to see this to say this is not working. But Major League Baseball and sports in general, they try to use these athletes as this almost moral compass of how we should follow like they're our leaders. And to be honest with you, we do love these athletes. We do follow, we follow these athletes on Instagram. I mean, some of them have almost a hundred million followers on Instagram. That is an important person objectively, but does it mean necessarily that we want to have them lead us in what we're doing politically, what we want to follow for our public health? No, it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately that's the way that they're treating it. And they want to act like, well, because my favorite player for the New York Yankees is vaccinated or not, then I, that's the direction that I should head in. And yeah. Americans have proven time and time again, we're not following what they're doing with our lives. We're following what they're doing on the baseball field and that's it. Right. Sometimes we confuse fame for credibility, right? And we think right. that just because someone is famous, that means they have all political, moral, and um, cultural authority. And I think that's something that, you know, with our very consumer, very capitalist, very free market society, that is something that is a bit of a gripe that I think we can have. When does capitalism, when does materialism, when does consumerism go so far that you are starting to allow the people and the content and the games that you're consuming start dictating more about your life? And when does celebrity culture become idol culture? And that's always an important question I think people need to ask themselves and be like, okay, where's the line? And am I idolizing this person too much? And how do I pull myself back from that? So moderation and everything. And so when we briefly talked on the phone, just before having and setting up this interview, I asked you about 
why do does the left and specifically like in the last five six years after pretty much everything started snowballing after Colin Kaepernick did his little charade at the the um, I guess it was a football game I don't yeah. even know <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask you what do you think the strategy is by using sports as a platform to indoctrinate the American youth. Because, I mean, it's kind of an undeniable fact. People are taking time out of halftime. They're taking time out of, you know, game shows and and things like that to give silence for LGBTQ discrimination. And they're doing Black Lives Matter things. And that's all very radical Marxist cultural um, movements that are happening now. So again, what is the strategy of using sports to preach indoctrination um, to the American youth? Well, in general, our youth is very impressionable. And we all were impressionable at 15. And I mean, we all have, I mean, look at our young, look at our youth right now. They're 12, 13 years old. A lot of them have TikTok already. They're being indoctrined right now, 12, 13 years old. They're watching Netflix right now. Well, that means that 12 and 13 and all the way up to 18 and 19, these are college students, college students that are 20, they're not ready to deal with all that life has to throw at them. And what's crazy about that is when you're scrolling Netflix and you see, okay, black lead, okay, this one has women lead, this one has LGBT, all the, whatever the letters are, Mm -hmm. they have this lead. And it, what it does is it changes the norms and it changes what people are used to. Well, you, if you can't possibly have people not see something like that from age 12 to 20, show it to them when they're a young adult or even it well into adulthood, they're going to look at it and say, what are we doing? But yeah. when you've been seeing it since you were 13 years old, it's going to be, it's going to be easier to, conf- to get you to change your mind on some of these topics. And if they can get certain people, especially young people and change their minds at a young age, they're controllable adults. Those are overly emotional adults. And anytime you have overly emotional adults, it is the society that we're dealing with today. It is hypersensitive, um, Mm -hmm. a ton of anxiety, suicide rates through the roof. And it's unfortunate. And we see it a lot in sports. They're trying to change people because they know young people are still watching these games, whether baseball, maybe not as much. And which is why you don't see hardly any indoctrination in baseball because it's more of an old man sport, but football you do um, somewhat because they used to be fully conservative and they've bent that way. Basketball, you absolutely do. There's 12 and 13 year old kids that are seeing jerseys of black lives matter and they don't even understand what it means. They don't understand what the organization stands for. And they're putting like, they have little kids putting black squares on their Instagram pages. And it's like, whether or not you agree with it, it doesn't bother me. But for people who very clearly don't understand what's happening in the world to be even putting this on their Instagram, you know that something fishy is going on and it needs to be talked about more. Wow. Yeah. We need to be protecting the minds of the youth, um, you know, by helping them learn the games and enjoy sports as an industry without trying to use that to indoctrinate them. Um, because like you said, if you get this ideology and two plus two equals five and men can become women without really trying, just thinking it to existence, right. right? If you tell them that when they're three, four years old, they don't have the faculties of reason to make that make sense. They input that into their worldview and they're going to believe that forever. And here's an interesting question that actually was not on the list of questions that I wanted to ask you, but 
I want to get your hot take. Do you think that sports teams, or maybe they're already doing this, but are going to have um, like the actual teams of the players, are they going to start having a diversity quota overall with sports? Is that already happening? Because I know there's definitely a lot of tension between who's the coach and who's the head coach, and there has to be a woman head coach, and he has to be a person of color and things like that. But is there that kind of thing in the actual talent of the teams? Well, you know what's interesting about that is I've heard a lot about whether or not black players are playing in baseball specifically, and it's almost as if they're phrasing those those accus- those those numbers as it's a white sport. Baseball is a white Mm. sport. Baseball has been known as a white sport for a long time. But what's interesting about it is the average player in this game is Latino from the Dominican. They'll be from the Dominican Republic or or they'll be from Puerto Rico, Venezuela. Most of the major league baseball players are coming from these areas because that's where all the best players come from. And long behold, the reason that the reason that all these leagues are oversaturated, oversaturated with one race or the other is because that race happens to be the best at one sport. That's what it is. Right. And no matter how someone wants to paint or why they want to paint, it's happening that way. That's where the talent is coming from. And if you want to put a quota on baseball and say, well, only a certain amount of white players can play or we need less Latino players, we need more black players, then what's going to happen when the NFL says 95% of our league is black? Are we going to go put more white players on the field? And once you open that Pandora's box, it's very hard to close it. And Mm. I think it's best they leave it alone. Yeah, racial essentialism is a very dangerous um, quota to fill because it just so happens that there may be differences genetically between different races and different races are good at different things. Different cultures aspire to different things. And that's part of the beauty that, you know, myself as a conservative, that's what I hold America to. I'm like, that is amazing that pageantry is huge in South America because that's where, I mean, like voted besides Russia, the most beautiful women come from South uh-huh. America and, you know, Central America, they're always winning the freaking pageants. And it's right. like, that's just, that's the industry. That is the way that you make, you know, you can rise out of poverty that you may be in, in those countries. Cause a lot of them don't have that much industry and the money that we have in America. And so it's like, why would you want to just put a racial quota on things? Because it's such an amazing opportunity for the races that possibly choose that sport. And again, yeah. like it's not barring to any other kind of race. And I think that again, racial essentialism is dangerous and a racial quota is always going to be dangerous because it's forced diversity. Yeah. Sometimes stereotypes are good. Like, to be honest with you, we can just put it there. It's like, if I'm a black person and I know, well, I have a really good, I have a chance to really be good at something. I, maybe I'm more athletic. Maybe I jump higher whatever it is, those are positive things. Everybody wants to jump higher. Everyone wants to run faster. Everybody wants to run like the Jamaicans do during the Olympics. (laughs) They are bar none, the best out there. And everyone wants to be them. So to sit here and pretend, well, we maybe need less Jamaicans to run during the Olympics to give everybody else a shot. How about everyone steps up their game? There's no fun in it because there's pride in being the best at something. And Mm -hmm. people should take that as a positive. And I hope they do. Right. I mean, come on. I was like five, six when I was in gymnastics. Like, and that's tall <laughs> yeah. for a gymnast. Okay. Simone Biles, two gymnastics places over for me is like freaking yeah. four feet tall. Like she's tiny. She's amazing. Yeah. She's African-American. Actually, I'm not sure what she is, but she's black. She's amazing. The best yeah. gymnast the world has ever known. And she's just incredible. Right. 
it takes the fun out of it once you start trying to put these unnatural rules onto people and not allowing them to choose. And Couldn't so, agree more. of course, though, you know, these are very unpopular opinions in the general cultural conversation that we have, but specifically in the sports world, you know, you as a, an important actor in the political or in the sports world, first and foremost, but also like you're not on the field necessarily. You're telling your opinion. You're predicting the games. You're talking about the players. You're using your voice as a means to impact the sports world. And clearly, though, you walk a very fine line between allowing yourself to be walked over as a conservative or to stand up, right? You have the choice every time a script is presented to you to agree with this script, if it's something woke or not, and say it. So, you know, and a lot of conservatives who maybe closeted conservatives, quote unquote, right. face this issue as well. And so what is your biggest um, gripe when it comes to people who back down in fear when politics comes up? Um, in the sports world. Well, you know what, that that closeted conservative term, it's so oversaturated with that at this point. The most popular people in my field, and my show's just starting to get popular. Most other shows that you see on, whether it's on Fox or Barstool, a lot of the people that are the most people in this field are those that have been silenced. They've decided mm. to stay completely neutral politically, and I can't even blame them, but it's, it's really just pro-capitalism and them wanting to galvanize people on both sides of the room. And it's not that I don't want to galvanize the troops and, and get everybody to maybe like you, because that's what's happened is that when you do enter into this field, when you do say what you think, whether it's conservative or liberal, one side of the room has shut you off. Well... I could have walked in the room. I had a choice openly. It's a very clear choice that I could have chosen to be a closeted conservative and be much more popular than I am. And to be honest with you, it frustrates me because I'll have conversations with people who are closeted conservatives who have some of the most popular shows in the world. And they will watch me be the target of the day or the target of the day tomorrow and somebody else be the target. People that they're friends with personally, people that they respect personally. And they won't come to bat for them. They won't defend them. They essentially will say, well, I'm not in the crosshairs. And they're happy to be taking business from those people who are attacking conservatives. And to me personally, I would never be that guy. I can't be that guy. It's never been part of my personality. So it's very disappointing to be quite honest with you. I understand why they're doing it because I want to be like just as much as they do. But I'm not willing to go as far to do it. Wow. That's powerful. They're not ever willing to stand up. And you said they're willing to take business from the people that are canceling their friends. Um, and that just shows, again, the moral spine of the general American now. We're not willing to stand up for what we really do believe in or stand up for our friends and our community and maybe even our family if it comes to it because our money could be on the line. And that's just a reflection of has capitalism gone too far and become a celebrity culture of idolization? And, you know, that's a question you have to ask. Yeah, because no one can say they hate them. I mean, when you when you don't tell people what you think, I'll, I'll see people who are clear conservatives, even more conservative than me, who do keep their mouth shut in this sports podcasting world. And on the internet, nobody technically knows what they think. Hmm. And they have people um, on the far left 
who who share their products. And when you're on Twitter, it's an echo chamber for both sides. Yeah. People don't want to share a openly liberal person's stuff on a conservative platform with good information. And both sides share great information. And that's something that I've always tried to steer away from is picking and choosing who I share. I try to share good information no matter where it comes from. Yeah. And that's how I try to figure out who should I be listening to, who should I be following is just the information. But people don't have a real they don't have a real talent anymore or the maturity to turn off who's delivering the message and say what is the message. And yeah. that to me is not what sports are supposed to be and it's not what sports podcasting or journalism was supposed to be. Yeah, and that's really going back to the answer you had about how do they use sports to indoctrinate the American youth. We've been told all of this super feminist or super accepting of LGBTQ, super anti-American sentiment through sports. So we don't know who to trust whenever it comes to um, actually rubbing two brain cells together and figuring out the truth. And it's a tough place for the general American to be in because we're on information overload all the time because of social media right. screens. I mean, even you drive your car down the street and there are signs and other cars and gas stations and stores, right? We are just constantly taking in information. And if we don't have something to rub it up against, then we're going to fall for everything. Um, GK Chesterton once said, don't let your mind be so open that your brain falls out. And I think that's very opposite right. for this time. But very My true. final question for you today and um, is you work at Fox. Is that correct? That's that's correct. We were actually purchased. So I, I work at OutKick and I guess technically we're still OutKick. They sold to Fox. This is maybe like eight months ago. So, okay. yeah. So technically now I'm, I'm Fox. Obviously, Fox is typically seen as the more conservative branch of media coverage and just culture coverage. And I wanted to ask, do you think your job could be in the future at risk? Say you get a really big viral video, an influx of sports fans. Do you think your job would be at risk because of your political leanings? Or are you just going to stick through and just not allow that to happen? Well, I would say, of course, because technically it's just a matter of which side of the aisle you're standing on. If you are at CNN and you spew out conservative viewpoints, you're going to be fired. Well, it's the same thing on the other side. If you are working at Fox and you happen to be your job was to be hired as a conservative writer or a conservative. You were supposed to have a conservative angle. Well, you're hired for your angle, not for who you are. That's the thing is people, they don't really, nobody really cares. And this is not exclusive to Fox, CNN, any of these networks. They don't really care who you are. They just care what comes out of your mouth. And if they can get behind what comes out of your mouth, you'll have your job. But what happens if all of a sudden I was inconsistent with what was coming out of my mouth? What happens if my process took me to a more liberal point of view? It's not going to happen. But if it did, would they be okay with it? Would I still have my job? We don't know. We don't necessarily, you don't, you don't know if you, you're still going to have a job, what potentially could lose you your job. Nobody really knows. So that's why everybody on both sides of the aisle are so afraid to come back towards the middle because they don't know what their security looks like. You actually have to be like really, you have to be like really inexpendable uh, to actually feel 
popular enough to come to the middle. So it, it's a yeah, it's a minefield. It totally to be is, with you. and you're walking a very fine line. But whatever happens, you have to you know deal with it with grace and dignity and courage and boldness. And I know that you will. So this was a wonderful, very insightful episode, Gary. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I hope to have you back sometime soon. No, thank you. And I, I see you have a Yeti mic decoration in the back. That's super fancy. <laughs> thank you. I've upgraded since then, but yes. 